following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to it, episode 842 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore. Joined by Brittany Page, everybody. We have to keep things on theme. And so, given that it is a new year, it is 2023, it is officially one year in D.C., in Washington, D.C., and we recently took the car to get serviced, and... I get a phone call from the guy who's working on it. And you know when they sound concerned? They're about to deliver some news that you maybe don't want to hear. Yeah. And so they have a certain tone in their voice. And he actually said this, the phrase, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. Which, I mean, come on, dude. Be, be a better storyteller. And I was scared. I'm like, what is going yeah, on face, with the car? It, it, your face registered... Alarm. Yes. I almost said terror, but I mean, you were v- very concerned. Well, all I said. And I was like, I was like motioning with my hand, like, what is it? What is it? And you put your finger up, like, I don't fucking know yet. Yeah. I'm, this guy's dragging this out. Yeah. I'm wanting to vomit dollar signs because all, that's all I can see is you're, just, it's you're like be, an iPhone emoji. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, he says, we, we got in, we saw your engine, and it is just covered in rat shit. And I don't know if he said shit. He might have said poop, but rat shit. He's like, it's just covered. Like, this is clearly a, a situation yeah, where rats are, are living in your car. And he said, so you must be parking on the street. And I said, well, no, I park in our garage area, <laughs> but it is an open garage. It's not like a a sealed garage. That well, there's, would... there's a door, like a regular garage door. Right. But there's no roof on it. But we just, it's urban. We don't want to piss off the audience and have people offended that we we didn't know that this would be the case. Yeah, and given that the garage, wink, wink. The garage door is right up against an alley and... An unkempt alley. Collectively, the neighborhood doesn't care very much about the appearance of the alley. Yeah, it is a nightmare. <laughs> It draws a lot of rats, and apparently they've taken up residence in the car. And so he says, listen, we can... In the engine compartment of the car. Yeah, he's like, listen, there's there's one wire that's chewed. It doesn't appear to have caused a problem. We can power wash this for $80 and get that all cleaned up for you, but you really need to do something about this because this could get worse. And, you know, if they're chewing one wire, who knows where it could go, Right. So we were told to get mothballs. That was the the only piece of advice that he gave us. Get mothballs and put them in the the engine bay of your car. And we couldn't find them anywhere. We like immediately went out to try to find them. We couldn't find them anywhere. And then we started doing our research on YouTube. <laughs> and Which is, I mean, I think the natural reaction is to laugh, but it's not necessarily a bad idea. We found a channel. Yeah. That the guy does like a control trial. He he puts a box with a, a clear lid on it, mm-hmm. throws delicious sunflower seeds for the rats <laughs> in there, 
with no no mothballs, no other thing we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. And then he does another one with the thing that's supposed to be the repellent. Right. And mothballs, they didn't give two single shits about mothballs. They gobbled down the seeds amidst the mothballs. Yes. So we are but, not using those. But the thing that does work, mm-hmm. peppermint oil. They hate the delicious smell of peppermint. Which is really nice because it smells fresh and yeah, delightful. And right now when you open the hood of the car, it smells like rats live in there. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> so we Well, I thought it was just like the the garage area. Like, oh, there's so many rats, it just smells like uh like rat piss. Well, when you walk around DC, you get whiffs of it from time in to time. In parking garages and shit, yeah, for sure. You get the whiff of the piss. <laughs> the piss whiff. so this is what we're dealing with and what our life continues to be so we were in a grocery store where you happen to see peppermint extract Mm -hmm. at which the bottle's gone now but it seemed to work the first night Uh, yeah i think it maybe worked okay but we actually we have peppermint oil being delivered it's late but hopefully we get it and and yeah i'm gonna spray it on the car regularly i mean i'm determined to make this stop and it's, it's and it seems like a, a humane way to get it done. Yeah, I mean, th- listen, rats, br- bring it in, rats. <laughs> you got two choices: we can either kill you or mm-hmm. gross you out. Yeah. So I think any reasonable rat would choose being grossed out by peppermint smell. Yeah. Rather than eradicated. Did we tell the <laughs> Did we tell the nutsack story on? On the the show? show? I don't know. Definitely on a Patreon call. (laughs) There was a rat that was stuck under the We should just leave it at that. But there's a story out there that we call the nutsack story. (laughs) There was a rat that was stuck under the fence. This was several months ago, probably shortly after we moved. And it it was stuck under the fence there. And... Like half in, half out. Yeah, and you couldn't tell specifically what was prompting it to be stuck in place and a neighbor came over because the rat was squealing it was in pain it was worried it was scared and i was gonna say half under the fence but he was all the way under except for the very back end where it looked like should i just say it (laughs) it looked well see what i i knew someone who had a pet rat and they named him balzac because he had a giant rat ball sack oh okay and so I thought that the little guy uh-huh. had like gotten his nutsack, <laughs> caught in between the two rails of the of the fence, the yeah. the the beams of the fence. Yeah. And so I went on the other side mm-hmm. to free him from his torture. Yeah. And actually his back leg was caught in a trap on the other side of the fence. Yeah. So I stepped on the trap which opened it up and he scurried he dragged his broken leg away. Yeah. But the neighbor lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't just you thinking to yourself, oh, it could be his massive nutsack. It yeah, was, I was loudly d- declaring. Yeah, you're talking to the neighbor. I think it could be a giant nutsack, is what has him stuck. <laughs> the neighbors like us. <laughs> yeah, we're real popular. So th- <laughs> thank you for joining us with our uh, continuing rat drama. It's, it's sure to be a good time. If you have any tips, any recommendations, if you have dealt with a similar thing we're super thankful that only if you've actually dealt with it and it worked not i know a guy or my cousin's brother's neighbor's son 
none of that. Well, that's the other thing. Like with that YouTube video, the guy who does the experiments, he there's several things that you read online that you can do. Like people will say dryer sheets or uh, I'm forgetting all the different things, but he will talk about how those other things do not work. And in fact, they will like steal things like dryer sheets to use nests out of them. Yeah. Like they're like, Oh, thanks for that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) I can really put that to use. Thank you. It's a little blanket for me. (laughs) So I kind. See, it's an invitation to be here. Yeah. I don't, want that i'm also scared quite frankly that we're going to create a situation where they just adapt to the smell of the peppermint oil like no. it's so cozy in the car they love it so much that they're like hmm we can, we can get used to this we it's, can survive anything it's we're like rats. living in a candy cane <laughs> yeah so we'll see what happens but if you have tips we would love them 657-464-7609 or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Speaking of those two pieces of information, Brittany, let's get to some listener communication. We have a uh, a caller who's taking us to task over our recent, I'm trying to think about how to say it, our recent conversation about homelessness and the mayor specifically. I think, believe he was the asshole of today. Yeah, the Portland mayor. The Portland mayor and someone who lives there. Uh, wants to correct the record. Hey guys, so I'm calling about uh, your story that you covered uh, in regards to Portland because uh, I live in Portland. Um, I'm hoping that because I'm going to give you a, a opposing opinion to what you guys have, you're not going to just completely tear me up as a horrible person, um, which you do from time to time when people uh, differ with your opinion. But anyway, so... I moved to Hawaii for a couple of years before COVID. I came back and things were completely different here. I had no idea that it was like this. Uh, I don't think anybody really understands how bad things have gotten in Portland unless they actually are from Portland and, you know, lived here before and after. Uh, the homeless population, Portland has become such a subculture that it's like a vacuum from the rest of the country. There's people coming from everywhere to be here because, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's become a subculture. Mayor Wheeler is very, very, very unpopular. People don't like him, but it's because he's allowed this to get out of control. He hasn't done anything. Um, him and, uh, Commissioner Hardesty, who she just got voted out. She was the main reason why this all happened. Um, you know, they, turned a blind eye for years. So this problem just built and built and built and built. And I mean, they, they've done essentially nothing. They provided services, uh, but we have to do something. And it's not just about aesthetics. It's really, really is, you know, there are a lot of people that want help, but there are also a lot of people that are just wildly mentally ill, violent, uh, you see it every day here now. You know, it's uh, it, it, there's a stretch uh, on one of the uh, the roads outside of town. It's like a two mile stretch, which is completely just torn apart. You know, RVs on both sides of the road, and you know, every couple hundred feet, you're going to find one that's burned to the ground because these people are living in these, and they're literally burning them to the ground. Um, by mistake, obviously, uh, because it's just such a horrible 
system that, you know, is we have currently right now where people can just go anywhere, do anything, you know, people don't, a lot of these people don't actually want services. So like, for instance, outside of my old job, they, the city provided porta potties for all the people who lived up and down that street. And I mean, it, it was like the entire street was all, um, people that were homeless. And there's this one RV there. They chose not to use the porta potty. So instead what they did is they, uh, three minutes. Three minute cutoff from Google. Should, should we should we play the? Uh, he called back. The anonymous caller called back. Yeah, it's a, a additional one minute. Okay, okay, we'll just play it and then because I've been feverishly writing notes. So this RV, they saved up five gallon jugs of uh, like five gallon buckets of of urine and feces. One day they stacked up thirty two of these outside for the city to pick up. They call them. The city sends in a pumper truck. They pick them up. The city's sending a fortune to try and do what they can, but th- this system is not working at all. You know, I don't like the whole uh, idea of the, the you know, the, the 10 cities that, that they want to have sanctioned. I hate the idea of the, the little home cities. I'm a proponent of, you know, actual, like, large homeless shelters that could and should be built. But, you know, the way that things move, it, it, it's never going to happen. So, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, – it's not what's currently going on, and there needs to be a certain amount of tough love. It is much more inhumane to leave them the way that they have been for several years. People are, you just don't know what it's like out there. All right, thanks. I don't know where to begin here. First of all, let, let me address the first thing you said, that um, that you hope we don't uh, tear you up as a terrible person, which we do from time to time. When we differ, when people bring a different opinion to the show, I don't think that's the case. I mean, there have been times where I have yelled and screamed and maybe even told people to fuck straight off (laughs) people who are just being hateful trolls. But if someone comes with a reasoned or in this case, what I believe to be not a reasoned argument, it's just a difference of opinion. I don't think that uh, the the, the caller here is a a bad guy. We're not going to. Yeah, there, apart. yeah, there's a difference between a personal attack and I think pointed criticism. And oftentimes when we do get callers or emailers that that disagree with us, I think sometimes when people listen to it, maybe it sounds harsh because, well, we're giving a counter argument. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes arguments can sound harsh, especially when maybe you're not comfortable with conflict. But- also, sometimes I you know, have a, a, a dick flavor to my... <laughs> To my arguments. Okay. Kind of a dickish guy sometimes. Yeah. All right. So do you want to go through your points? Because I have my own. Yeah, I don't know. Here. I just, I, let me, let, let's just start here. I, I think that, uh, one, Portland is not unique in having homeless people. Um, you, you talk to anybody from LA or Portland or a number of different cities across the country and they, they feel like their situation in their particular municipality is unique among the states. And I just don't know that that's the case. the The other thing is, well, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, the other thing is, is, is there was a lot of we need to do something. Something needs to be done. Nothing's been done up to this point. Uh, um, and then addressing some of the solutions like tent cities. I'm against that. I'm against little houses. The little housing. I'm against all of this. What we need is a giant homeless shelter. It just doesn't. 
I can feel your passion for the problem, and it is a problem. No one's saying, ah, just let them do what they want to do. Um, that's not, people do need help, absolutely. It's how we deliver that help as a caring, mobilized society to to solve the many problems we have. And tough love isn't a policy. Yeah, so... There were several things I think that were confusing to me there and the the caller is anonymous. There was no name left. So I, I just want to address the point. I don't think anyone understands how bad things have gotten. People are coming from everywhere to be here because there's a subculture. Now, I'm not quite sure what the argument is there, honestly, because that's a little it's a little murky for me. But but if the argument is that this caller believes that 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 homeless people are, like it's in vogue. Are traveling from different parts of the country to go to Portland because they want to immerse themselves in the homeless subculture that exists in Portland. That is a bold claim for which you need evidence. And based on my research, I only find things that say that homeless people do not travel to other locations to be homeless. And oftentimes you'll hear this about the weather. People will make the counter argument that it isn't the cost of living disparity between places like Detroit and San Francisco. They'll say the thing there could be the weather. Right. But the thing is, researchers actually put weather into their models and find that weather is not the variable driving homelessness disparities between places like San Francisco and Detroit, for example. And if you need proof of this, you can check out a recent book that came out, Homelessness is a Housing problem, how structural factors explain U.S. patterns. This is by Greg Colburn and Clayton Page Aldern. Not related, I wish. By the way, this is a a statistical, this isn't just they postulate. This is a data-driven research project that they've written a book around. And I just did a video on it on on my YouTube channel, so you can go and check that out. But I also want to address the burning the RVs to the ground and wildly mentally ill and violent. I mean, sure, there's going to be people that are, as the caller puts it, I guess, wildly mentally ill. Not sure what that means, but uh, and violent. I'm sure I'm sure that that's the case. But again, when we talk about these things, we try not to use the most extreme examples to make our point because it is rare when you're talking about someone that is severely mentally ill and violent. That's rare. That's not the common situation. And you know what you don't hear people talk about a lot is actually how it goes the other way too, right? How homelessness causes mental illness and substance use. They act as though those are the driving factors of homelessness when actually homeless, being homeless causes That's a contributing factor. Yeah. So also uh, there was a comment, a lot of people don't want services. Okay. Well, that's, that's just a trope. It's a trope, but also I, I want you to to listen to the example the caller gave. So a lot of people don't want services. And then almost the next sentence was, there was this one RV that chose not to use the porta bot potty that was provided. Yeah, one, one example. And this is kind of how it goes, right? You hear someone say, well, a lot of these people don't even want help. And then they're like, I talked to this one guy one time yeah, in passing, yeah, yeah. you know. And- the guy who's panhandling and he gets in his Mercedes and drives away. like that. Yeah. So then now every person who stands in the middle of a a median asking for money is getting in a Mercedes because of the one time, which, you know, right. (laughs) How often is that the case? Yeah. So I agree with the caller that this system isn't working. 
I absolutely agree with that. But where we apparently disagree, I guess, is number one in how we talk about this community. I think there is, I sense, some animosity coming from the caller toward the community. Certainly frustration. And that's not something that I have. And and I'll tell you what. I mean, I walk over. We're talking about rat piss. You also smell human piss when you're out in the streets of dc uh we have a metro very close to us and i when i when i go to the metro there's a certain side of the metro that i don't prefer to walk on because oftentimes it smells like piss yeah listen we don't live in georgetown by the way we live in a, a very urban um diverse area where there are the problems that you're talking about caller right outside our door yeah and so we're not attacking because we don't have a homelessness problem here in the city. And, well, what are you talking about? We just don't understand it. We get it. But I, I would say this, when you bring an argument, and this maybe is just a, a more general uh, pointed criticism of what you've done here, don't say things like every 200 feet is an RV that's been burned to the ground because that is obviously an exaggeration. So if that easy little piece is being exaggerated, what else that you've brought, the data and the information that you've brought, is also exaggerated? Well, and it, and it is. It's an emotional issue, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that people do not want to have uh, this this chaos exist in their communities. Sure. I, I totally understand that, and, and I, I believe that. I agree with the caller the system isn't working, but I do not believe in the solution, the only solution that I heard offered there in terms of large shelters being built. We already have shelters and and shelters are not taking care of it. What we need is housing first policies that the government actually invests in. And again, I point to the 11% decline in veteran homelessness that occurred during a pandemic, during an economic downturn, right? That's, That's a remarkable achievement. And it happened because of the evidence-based policy that is housing first, which prioritizes getting a person into housing first and then offering wraparound services to help provide the support that they need to stay in that housing. I think part of the problem here is people are looking for, because we're such a fast food culture, people want a, a bingeable solution, a Netflix solution to this situation. And they want it to be over with in a month, in a week, in a couple of weeks. That's not the way policy inaction, uh, enacting policy works. This is going to take a year or two years or maybe longer than that. It is a, you're, you're changing systems and you're going to try to avoid people falling into homelessness and to help the people who are currently in a homeless situation. So it's not going to be an overnight thing like dumping a bunch of fucking people into a tent city. Mm -hmm. That's not the solution. And that's also, by the way, not the solution we should be seeking. We should be seeking a fundamental structural change in how we fund programs uh, from from pre-K on up to help people avoid this outcome in their life. Absolutely. And, And that's really, I think, the tough love comment, like we need more tough love. I, I think that people are getting too much tough love is actually where I come from. And I think we need to... What does that even fucking mean, though? Yeah, I mean, you go talk to any of those people about what their life has been. 
And I think that you'll be shocked. Yeah. You'll, you'll be shocked at, and, and this is something that I have learned in my career as a therapist that many people walk around and have been through things and don't talk about things that would shock people. Yeah. And if you talk to someone who is, you know, I, I think you encounter people on the street that are, are exhibiting concerning behaviors. Maybe they are severely mentally ill and you just think this person's unsafe. I need to get away from them. And, and when I see those people, I think about their story and I, and I try to imagine what their life has been. And I think if we did a little bit more of that, that it, it would drive us to be more compassionate. And, and it, rather than focusing on tough love, we can focus on how can we provide for people and what are we doing as a society to fail these people and yeah. what can we do to correct that? The other thing I would, I would suggest, caller, and again... And this is a great conversation, yeah, by the yeah. way. I'm very happy that this happened. Is, is what, I would, what I would have you do is when you start talking about people who are accidentally burning their RVs to the ground... But you're not talking about all the houses that burned down accidentally in the city, and you're not you're not attaching that to a problem. It just statistically, there's probably I have no fucking idea. This would be good information to have is to see what the percentage is. Like on average, how many per capita motorhomes, RVs on the street who are occupied by uh, people who are experiencing homelessness? How many of those are burning down versus? Single family homes on the holidays or when someone has a grease fire in their kitchen or an electrical fire. I would venture to say that there's not much difference at all. Yeah. So like I said, I know it's a, a very emotional issue and that definitely came through with the caller. But again, this is not personal. I mean, I, I hope that in this disagreement, you hear the points, you hear the data, you hear the disagreement over solutions, the disagreement and approach of how to talk about our fellow humans. I hope you're not hearing, hey, Dick, you better, you know, bring a better argument next time. Ugh, you just got dunked on, you know, like there's, I'm hoping there's a clear juxtaposition because yeah. I do worry that people think, oh, they, they're kind of dicks when people call in and disagree. There's a difference between you being attacked for your view, I believe, and having a discussion that maybe feels like a conflict because these are strong disagreements. Yeah. And that's okay. I think it was a great conversation. I think it led to some important uh, pieces that maybe other listeners are listening and they feel the exact same way as this caller, but, sure. they, but they weren't able to call in. And maybe there are people that feel the same way as the caller and they heard the points that we made, and they still agree with the caller, and maybe they'll call in. I mean, this is yeah. what it's about, you know? So, in summation, look, dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We knew that was coming. Um, thank you for the call. It, it actually, th this is, in the spirit of moving the conversation forward, we love this. Yeah. Hopefully it sparks other people to call in and we can have a conversation and maybe have an actual expert on the show to talk about some of these things. Yeah, for sure. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, we have an email. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Jesse. This email is mostly for Brittany, although uh, I'd love right. to hear both of your opinions on this. Fuck that. 
Do you <laughs> do you believe racism is a mental illness? In the last few episodes, there's been talk of Kanye's racism and his mental illness, but I haven't heard anyone describe racism as a mental illness until I listened to a podcast with April Dawn Harder. She's a psychotherapist, and that's all I know of her so far. The podcast I'm listening to is an hour and a half, and I want to give it my full attention, so I probably won't finish it for a while. Unfortunately, I don't want to Google too much on the subject before I listen to her either. I want to have an open mind. With that being said, I naturally thought of Brittany and her opinion. If you guys think this is an interesting topic and get a chance to give it a few minutes on the podcast, I'd love to hear it. Thanks, Jen. P.S. Last time I wrote in, I only listened to a couple of episodes, so I thought I had to choose one of you as the best part. Now I'm a longtime listener, and I know Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. All right. So, Jen, this is a really complex question, and it's an ongoing debate within the psychology community, one that I actually wasn't aware of until I got your email. Hmm. So thank you, Jen, for sending the email because it prompted some interesting research that I was able to do. So the APA originally rejected an attempt by a group of psychiatrists to include what they called extreme bigotry as a diagnosis, I think in the 60s. And the reason that they rejected this attempt to put it uh, as a diagnosis in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the book from which all diagnoses come like it, that's that's how the the field diagnoses yeah. mental disorders is using this book and you may remember we had Alan Francis on a psychiatrist who worked on creating some of the diagnostic criteria for various mental disorders of the DSM so couple a couple times we've had him on the show yeah so the reason that they rejected categorizing extreme bigotry as a diagnosis is because Essentially, racism is so pervasive that it's basically too common to be a disorder. Like it's it's not a it's not a deviation from the norm. And things that are mental disorders are abnormal behaviors. So because racism is so pervasive in the society, yeah. it is normal. Now normal doesn't mean good or just. It common. just it just means common. Yeah. Yes. And I think sometimes we conflate those terms and it can be confusing. Now, within the diagnostic criteria in the DSM for any disorder, part of the criteria that you have to meet is that the symptoms need to cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. So, for things to be a diagnosis, it needs to be a deviation from normal or typical thinking and behaviors and it must cause distress so you it, it it has to be something that's causing a problem for the person not for people outside the person yes so you're either seeing that it's it's disruptive for their interpersonal relationships you're seeing that they can't hold a job because of this you're seeing that they aren't able to go about their their regular day it's interfering with their activities so you can see how the existing mental disorders would meet this criteria right yeah sure okay so people can have paranoid delusions that involve race that that is something that can happen but as far as, as racism, specifically like holding racist beliefs being a disorder, 
I'm not sure what the point would be. Yeah. In in adding that to the DSM, like that would be my main question. Is it would what all is the almost motivation? be like make an excuse for it or, or letting someone off the hook for their hateful, bigoted beliefs? Like, oh, I, I'm just mentally ill. You can't do anything to me. I'm protected. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think, what we should look at is, like, the risks and benefits. So, like, there's a risk of medicalizing racism, which may, like, decrease the emphasis on systemic or structural solutions and then put more emphasis on, like, it being an individual problem that individuals need to take care of rather than, like, the systemic systemic structural issues that exist within our society and that have been created in our society. Well, I mean, look at it this way. Like, if I... If I had a, a, a traditional job and they tried to fire me because I got cancer, well, that's a fucking no-go. Mm-hmm. Well, the same with mental illness. You don't just get to fire someone because they're, they have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So if we start labeling racism as a mental illness, these racists are going to be protected from consequence. I just, it seems like a... Uh, a bummer waiting to fucking happen. Well, and that's that's the other concern is, I mean, could it be used as a legal defense with hate crimes if you think about the men who killed Ahmed Arbery or uh, yeah. George Floyd? Mental illness is already kind of the go-to explanation to explain why white people uh, complete mass shootings. It's often invoked, actually, too. I read this interesting Vice article it's it's used to prevent white people from backlash when they say something racist. Like Roseanne Barr, she tweeted something racist, and then like they blamed her mental health. She called Valerie Plame um, Planet of the Apes or something, a black woman. And then same with the Seinfeld guy. Apparently, he Michael Richards. Yeah, he described that he needed to like go into treatment or something right, after right. exhaustion. <laughs> it's always it's always what Hollywood does. Oh, I was just exhausted. Yeah, so I don't know. How would the system be abused by people that are claiming it as a diagnosis? Would there be disability benefits for people who are racist? I mean, yeah, like, right. I, I just I don't know where it would go. So the question of... It seems like all bad places. <laughs> it's like, what would the benefit be, I guess? And if, if we're trying to decrease the detrimental effects of racism in our society, I just don't know that... Adding it to the DSM is the thing that's going to make that happen. I think kind of along the, the, the first caller, it's working to educate ourselves about systemic racism, working to implement public policy that creates a more just and equal society. And that's really like the long haul solution. But, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it's a complicated question, though. And, and, it's, and so, let me ask this. So and I'm just asking the air mm-hmm. since no one has the answers here. If we were to pay reparations, which I advocate for strongly to descendants of of former slaves. And it would enrage and inflame the passions of racists all over the country. Are we just contributing to their mental illness because they got extra racist and hateful? No. I just, I, just, I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to that episode and see what the fuck I'm missing because it, it, it there's, doesn't seem to be a good angle that I'm able to pinpoint yet. Yeah, well, and, and right now, the way that delusions are defined in the DSM, they are fixed false beliefs that are not shared by other people. So right. it, like Andrea Yates, who drowned her kids in a tub because Jesus was talking to her, or whatever the deal was. Yeah. Uh, but then lots of people say they talk to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it gets into murky, difficult territory with some of this. And there have been attempts to describe something that's called extreme overvalued belief when you're talking about extreme racism. 
almost like how the DSM has moved to use a spectrum for some things. Like with autism, there's levels. With substance use disorders, there's mild, moderate, severe, depending Mm. on how many symptoms you have, uh, how many of the points of criteria that you make that you meet and maybe there could be a spectrum with racism or like there's, you know, some conspiracism is like mild, but then you have the more extreme parts where people are committing hate crimes. I mean, I I don't know. Ultimately, I feel like if we're saying do the risks and benefits, do the risks outweigh the benefits? I think yes, because I don't know where it could go and I don't know how it could be abused by bad actors. That's ultimately where I land, but I don't know. It's an ongoing conversation and it's a very interesting one. So again, Jen, thank you so much for the question. And if anyone has thoughts on it, we'd love to hear them. 657-464-7609. Or you can send an email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Logan T. Logan T. Nico. Nico. Loretta C. Loretta C. Samuel S. Samuel S. Nicholas F. Nicholas F. Tosin. Tosin. Isaac M. Isaac M. And special shout out to Kelly E. L. Kelly E. L. For doubling the pledge. Wow. Doubling the pledge. So great. So we've started sending out the end of year gift. And this is an edit because right before I'm saying this, right before I said this. You spilled the fucking beans, I said woman. what it was. Okay. You, you panicked and I'm like, what happened? Yeah. You're okay. like, I just said what it oh was. Oh my God. Okay. So keep your eyes on the mail. Uh, remember through. No, no, no. Say what you said before. Keep your eyes peeled, you said. Yeah. So keep your eyes on the mail and remember through Sweepy's birthday. January 31st, if you become a Patreon supporter through January, by January 31st, I'm really falling apart right now. It's hot in here. Yeah. Uh, you will be entered to get. You're not entered to. You're going to get the end of the year gift. Okay, we're really good. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. <laughs> become a patron of any tier. Yeah. And you will be included to get the end of the year gift. Thank you for all of your support. The other way is to go to dollamore.info. That'll redirect you to the Teespring store. You can buy t-shirts and mugs and totes with both uh, YouTube-related content, but also just I Doubt It podcast gear. And every bit goes a long, long way. And it looks like Brittany has something to say because her head is tilted back and her mouth is slightly agape. So don't forget that we are bringing back the Patreon Hangouts. We took a break through the holidays and with Jesse's cancer, but we are back. So the next hangout is Saturday, January 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So remember, they are at the last Saturday of the month, unless something comes up. But that is when you should plan to be on the Patreon hangout for the appropriate tier. And we look forward to seeing you guys again. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Moving on. Dollamocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So 
let's talk a little bit about George Santos, the wild liar from New York, represents Long Island and parts of Queens, Republican, who is now here in D.C. He's now, I mean, he's not officially sworn in because there's all this chaos surrounding seating the Speaker of the House, and until that happens, the there is no business being conducted. No one's been sworn in. But what a lonely existence this guy is going to have for the next two years. Yeah, I want to read from the Washington Post article about his first day because he was endlessly chased and followed throughout the building on his first day at the Capitol. As well he should be. Absolutely. And... But it was kind of, I don't know, watching it was very uncomfortable and he was getting lost and he would end up in a dead end hallway surrounded by reporters. Yeah, who are, know, they know the complex. They know the layout. He doesn't. Yeah. And it's just, fuck! <laughs> yeah. But let me, let me read how this Washington Post article starts because I think it's going to set the mood for the clips that we're going to play. On Tuesday, looking very much like a freshman at a prep school in hell, Congressman-elect George Santos wore a black backpack, a periwinkle sweater underneath his navy jacket, and a sullen face with darting, evasive eyes, as if looking to see if anyone on Capitol Hill was going to accuse him of yet another lie about the basic facts of his existence. <laughs> yeah, not not good. In fact, there there were moments, especially at the end of the night when I was watching him all by himself, alone and isolated on the floor of the House of Representatives, getting ready to cast his ballot for Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker. Mm-hmm. Just no one around him. Yeah. Just a pariah, even among his own party. Yeah. It's, I, I, I feel bad for the guy, even though I know he made his fucking bed. And there's likely financial impropriety that needs to be certainly investigated surrounding where he got the $705,000 to loan his campaign amidst a period of time where he was behind in his rent. Yeah. So So here is a reporter questioning him as soon as he arrived for his first day. Your constituents, do you feel like you're qualified to serve in this Congress right now? How do you hope your constituents can trust you, even though that you've misrepresented your biography to them? What's your response to calls for a House ethics investigation by Nick Lovoda? Do you have any statements about your campaign and how you hope to govern? Do you hope to carry out your full term? <laughs> it's like she has a list. Reassure your constituents that you'll do what you said you were going to do on the campaign trail, given the concerns that have come up about statements you've made in the last few months. Oof. Yeah. So he's he's just trying to get inside, get to his office so that he can hide under his desk. But listen, once he got inside, it it continued and this is actually a clip of him getting lost in that dead end hallway. Yeah, what's your real name, dude? 
I saw a clip where oh he was outside God. on the sidewalk, and it was even more chaos. Yeah. And more, because po- I don't think they were like journalist journalists, so they were just being dicks. Yeah. And justifiably so. Yeah. But this is going to be a a wild ride if he if he has what it takes to continue. I don't know that I would. It would be very strange. I I keep asking myself, what is in it for this person? Yeah. I mean, what is in it for him? I don't understand because he is, like you said, sitting alone. There were people that prior to all the lies coming out had campaigned with him, made media appearances with him, who it was reported yesterday didn't even greet him. Yeah. Didn't go near him. Yeah. So... I mean, he is kind of viewed as this toxic figure right now. They don't really know what to do with him. Even by the most toxic motherfuckers in the Republican Party, they don't want to touch this guy. Yeah, so what is in it for a person like this to stay in this situation where they're being hounded and getting lost? And I mean, there were points where in some of these clips, he was like laughing to himself because it was kind of comical. It's like a Larry David (laughs) bit, you know, like he's getting lost while he's trying to get to his office to hide from them. But he also yesterday... He released a press release that said he was sworn in as a member of the United States House of Representatives by the Speaker of the House on January 3rd, 2023. And that didn't happen because right. there is there is no elected Speaker of, of the House. Yeah, there was no swearing-ins. For the first time in 100 years, the House of Representatives failed to elect a new Speaker. One ballot, Kevin McCarthy failed. Two ballots, Kevin McCarthy failed. And three ballots, Kevin McCarthy failed to get the support of his own party to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. How you feeling about the vote? It's not the kind of history Republicans were hoping to make. Tonight, for the first time in 100 years, failing to elect a Speaker of the House. A Speaker has not been elected. On ballot? A Speaker has not been elected. After ballot. A Speaker has not been elected. The chaos, the result of a bitter battle between Republicans, a small but stubborn faction of right-wing members voting against party leader Kevin McCarthy. People ask me, what do you want? I want the tools or I want the leadership to stop the swamp from running over the average American every single day. McCarthy projecting confidence this morning. I'm not going anywhere. I will always fight to put the American people first, not a few individuals that want something for themselves. But also predicting a drawn out process. Is there any scenario in which you drop out of this race? No. McCarthy had already made major concessions to the rebel Republicans who were pushing him for prime committee seats, commitments to vote on specific legislation, and rules changes, including some that would make it easier to oust a speaker later. With the House constitutionally bound to elect a speaker before taking up any other business, rank-and-file Republicans, the vast majority of whom back McCarthy, growing frustrated by the small group of holdouts. If I didn't know any better, it's like the Democrats paid these people off. Let's pay them off. Let's make it look like the Republicans can't govern and don't deserve any gavels whatsoever. That's what it makes it look like. For much of the day, top Democrat Hakeem Jeffries actually had more votes for Speaker than McCarthy. But Republicans hold the narrow House majority and the only real path to electing a Speaker, if they can agree on who. So, Garrett, it appears they're heading now for a fourth round of voting tomorrow. But are the Republicans getting any closer to consensus? 
No, Lester, they're actually farther away. McCarthy losing 20 Republican votes on the last ballot tonight. We can only afford to lose four. Also tonight, former President Trump declining to stand by his endorsement of McCarthy, telling me in a brief interview, we'll see what happens. And that actually was reversed this morning. Donald Trump came out and did um, voice his, his support for McCarthy's speakership. Yeah. So you heard Dan Crenshaw saying that it's almost like the Democrats are causing this and saying, let's make it look like the GOP can't govern. Yeah, Dan Crenshaw, it's the Democrats that are making it so the Republicans can't govern. <laughs> right. No, it's because you have Matt Gates, you have Lauren Boebert, you have... Who else? Who are these people that are holding things up, that are voting for Jim Jordan? Chip Roy, one of them that you heard. He is the former chief of staff for Ted Cruz. You've got Paul Gosar. You've got three uh, representatives elect who are on the bandwagon now. Andrew Clyde, the guy who said that the that the uh, the, the insurrection was just a normal tourist visit. You've got a guy named Harris from Maryland who said that there, there was no violence during the insurrection. It, it is a cadre of of anti-democratic ghouls who are trying to change the rules to make it easier for them to oust a speaker that they elect. But also, they want to be able to gum up the works and just halt legislation in its tracks by introducing amendment after amendment after amendment and not have to go through committee and do normal run-of-the-mill uh, House procedural um, manifestations of legislation. Well, they also want more power for themselves. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is a part. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a part of this faction of Republicans that are ruining Kevin McCarthy's life, which is great. It's you know funny to watch. Well, she's on his team because yes. she's holding him hostage. Yes, but there is even infighting with these Republicans that are voting for Jim Jordan over Kevin McCarthy, the holdouts they're calling them, these 20 Republican holdouts. There's even infighting. CNN was calling them the rebels. Uh, okay, the rebels. <laughs> there's there's even infighting with them. And Marjorie Taylor Greene gave a statement about how she's not asking for things for herself, but she just learned that other members of her party are asking for things for themselves. We have been negotiating, talking, debating back and forth in our conference, trying to come to a really good rules package, and it's amazing. As a matter of fact, I'll quote Matt Gates. He said it's exquisite. That's what he said on our conference call on Sunday. Um, but in that conference meeting there, we found out that there were several members, three in fact, that went in uh, last night and were demanding positions for themselves, demanding gavel positions, demanding uh, subcommittees, demanding for people to be taken off committees and people to be put on committees. Three, three Republicans out of our 222. I want you all to know I have not done that for myself. The only thing I have done is an, is debate and, and, and request and argue amongst my peers for the right things, for the rules package, and for our agenda for the American people. And that's the only thing I've done. I haven't asked for one thing for, my, for myself, and I'm the only Republican that has zero committees. So you would think <laughs> I would be the one in there asking for something, but I haven't done that. But I find out that it's my uh, Freedom Caucus colleagues and my supposed friends that went and did that, and they asked nothing for me. Nothing. That's what I found out in there. I am furious. Well, let me tell you something. While the conservatives that the base supports and believes in, let me let me remind everyone, they're not perfect either. Scott Perry, before his general election, refused to vote 
uh, against the bill that was all about the gay marriage bill. He didn't. He he refused to vote against it. He voted for it. Then when it came back around after his election, he was able to vote against it. Conservatives would not like that. Let me remind every everyone this: Matt Gates, who has compared Kevin McCarthy to Paul Ryan, my friend Matt Gates, he supported Paul Ryan almost more than anyone. It's still on his social media. As a matter of fact, his first vote in Congress was for Paul Ryan as Speaker, and then he cheered him on for nearly a year and a half or more. When people like me were at home furious at Paul Ryan's speakership because it wasn't passing the MAGA agenda that we all supported. Margaret Taylor Green, y'all. So, let me just tell you, it continued, and there's more. Oh, there was like a full additional two minutes. Wow. They were just letting her go. I mean, off. this is high school drama bullshit. Obviously, they Absolutely. can't fucking govern. Yeah. Well, and listen to her try to convince you that her priorities right now are what's best for the American people while she's just airing personal grievances about the betrayal that no one is helping her get on a committee yeah. when she has zero committees. Here she is talking about Lauren Boebert. She's not a Christian! <laughs> <laughs> so, Tucker Carlson also waded into the Kevin McCarthy controversy and decided to basically speak directly to Kevin McCarthy from his show yesterday telling him what he needs to do in order to gain the support of these rebels. So really the pivotal question is, how badly does Kevin McCarthy want this job? 20 of his colleagues have just publicly disavowed him loudly and again and again. So to win them back, McCarthy is going to have to give them something real, not more airy promises, which he specializes in. He's going to have to give them actual concessions. If Kevin McCarthy wants to be the speaker, he is going to have to do things he would never do otherwise. Like what? We can think of at least two things. First, release the January 6th files. Not some of the January 6th files and video, all of it. And not to some phony committee that will hide them, that in fact is designed to hide them from the public, but put them online. Release them to the public directly so that the rest of us can finally know what actually happened on January 6th, 2021. It's been two years. It's long overdue. It's our right as Americans to know. And McCarthy could tell us. Second, Kevin McCarthy could put Thomas Massey of Kentucky in charge of a new Frank Church committee designed to discover what the FBI and the intel agencies have been doing to control domestic politics in this country. They've been doing a lot. But no one in Washington wants to talk about it. This topic is effectively off limits and has been. In fact, no one's talked about it for almost 50 years. And so because no one has talked about it or stopped it, the rot has spread and democracy has withered. You can feel it. The FBI has now a bigger force in American elections than any single group of voters. This cannot continue. It is poison. And Kevin McCarthy is uniquely situated right now to stop it. So by striking a deal with his 20 colleagues, McCarthy could restore our system to health and at the very same time get the job he has always wanted. It's not so complicated. Let's hope he does it. The problem with Tucker Carlson is his audience is filled with an aging out segment of conservative politics who don't question, who don't understand the coded language he's using. Because when he says the phrase, 
we need a church-like committee. He means Frank Church, Democratic senator from Idaho. Um, we need a, a church-like committee to investigate the intelligence agencies and the FBI and their control of domestic politics. Those three words, control of domestic politics, means combating organized white supremacy and militia groups in this country. It's not, oh, just they're controlling domestic politics. This isn't about Hunter Biden's fucking laptop. This is about organized, violent extremists in our country who are hell-bent at tearing down our democracy, even up to and including a violent insurrection at the Capitol. Well, and when Tucker Carlson is talking about releasing the January 6th files, this past week, the House January 6th committee warned the White House that it will not be able to protect the identity of personnel who cooperated with the investigation on the condition of anonymity because the Republicans, Republicans are yeah. going to take over. And this is what the quote-unquote rebels, the holdouts, whatever we want to call them, the... Radical. I mean, listen, it, it's hard to call them radicals when the Republican Party itself is radical. Yeah. So this is the radical right wing of the radical party. Right. They're the most extreme. Yes, and they do. They want to expose the January 6th committee files. You heard it directly from Tucker Carlson there. And it isn't about priorities to improve the lives for the American right. people. This is all about creating chaos and attacking Democrats. That's what it's all about. So the other thing that dropped this week was, well, we, we haven't talked a ton about it, but with Donald Trump's taxes and inside of some of the information that came out based on the release of those taxes is the fact that even though he promised, I know everybody's shocked that he would lie, even though he promised that he had um, closed bank foreign bank accounts before he became president, that wasn't the case. And in fact, he had Chinese bank accounts. Among the things we have learned uh, that Donald Trump had foreign bank accounts. I'll get to this, come back to this in a second. Foreign bank accounts, including one in China from 2015 to 2017. Large amount of interest on loans to his children. Tax lawyers say that doesn't make any sense to us. It should be scrutinized. Uh, he said he was a very charitable guy. There were no charitable contributions in 2020. I mentioned the foreign bank account there in office. Again, one of the questions here for the American people, because he is a declared candidate in the next presidential election, is can I trust this guy? Because right there, the documents prove he had a bank account in China. Donald Trump as a candidate said otherwise. I was thinking about doing a deal in China like millions of other people. I was thinking about it and I decided I'm not going to do it. Didn't like it. I decided not to do it. Had an account open and I closed it. I closed it before I even ran for president. The problem here is, I mean, many others, like ethical considerations and, and if he's compromised and if he's being influenced by foreign powers and his money in their banking system, is Republicans don't fucking care that he lied to them. They don't care that he promised he would release his taxes dozens, if not hundreds of times, and then never did it. They don't care because... Owning the libs is what is most important for Republicans. Well, and what's wild is they should care. And I want to read from this article uh, in, in the Los Angeles Times describing how much Donald Trump paid in taxes. Or how much he didn't fucking pay. Okay, because this should be a radicalizing moment for a lot of people. Hardworking Republicans who are scraping out a living 
while paying taxes, thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes. Yeah, think about how much you pay in taxes when you listen to this, okay? Yeah. Trump and his wife Melania paid $750 or less in federal income tax in 2016 and 2017. The couple paid zero taxes in 2020 and claimed a $5.5 million refund, according to the returns released by the House Ways and Means Committee, which oversees tax legislation. In three other years, Trump paid significant amounts. As a share of his income, however, his payments were far below those of the average taxpayer. The returns show he paid $641,931 in 2015, just under $1 million in 2018, and $133,445 in 2019. The 2018 payment came on a reported adjusted gross gross income of $24.3 million. This is an effective tax rate of 4%. 4%. By contrast, the average taxpayer in 2018 paid $15,322 in federal income tax with an average rate of about 13%, according to the IRS. 4% versus yeah. 13%. It's a third. Is this the society that people feel is fair? And just yeah, well, Republicans have been programmed. Republican voters have been programmed to, like Donald Trump said on the campaign, well, that just makes me smart. Mm. And everyone else is stupid. While he fucking molests the flag and hugs and kisses the flag <laughs> and tells it I love you, but doesn't contribute to the country and the betterment of all of the different programs mm-hmm. and the infrastructure. It just, it is just gross. Well, you remember he also claimed that he was donating his annual presidential salary, the $400,000, to charity. Yeah, he didn't do it every year. Yeah, his 2020 return shows zero charitable contributions. And you know that he's going to be using all of the possible things that can count as charitable contributions on his tax returns if they exist. So apparently they they didn't exist. In the 80s, there was a $7 charge or $7 donation to the Boy Scouts and David Fahrenholt talked about it where they had to track that down what is that what is that he counted um paying for don jr to be a boy scout as a donation to the organization and paid for his initiation or dues or whatever out of the trump foundation Mm -hmm. so er you're not kidding every single penny he that goes to charity he's counting for it even when it's not actual charity right yeah and zero yeah ah so Donald Trump's a liar. That's very, very strange information that we're just finding out. This just <laughs> in, everybody. Anyway, we love you guys. We'd love to know what you think about this. We'll leave you here. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Once again, we would invite you to join the Patreon family. Get in on that end-of-the-year gift before January 31st. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast or go to dollamore.info to pick up uh, some sweet-ass merch. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.